Hey, what's up, New Hope, and happy Father's Day to all of the dads out there. Hey, I hope you have a great day. I pray you get more than a pair of socks. I pray that your family expresses their love and appreciation for you. And we as a church definitely want to express our appreciation. We have some amazing dads at this church. So just enjoy your day. Hey, just a quick little reminder, we are um, at the beginning stages of the 30 days of kindness. And so hopefully you are engaged in this. This world desperately needs kindness and uh, just want you to be a part of this. You can go online and figure out uh, how you can get all the information, but let's spread the love of Christ. Wanted to let you know that this Tuesday, I'm going to be having a, a round table discussion, if you will, with a, a group of new hopers. And uh, I'm gonna be listening to their voices. And I hope you will join us. It's Tuesday at our Facebook page, June 23rd at noon, as we continue the conversation around race. And before we get into the questions today, I wanna circle back to last week and I wanna actually speak to a moment in the message last week that's very much related to race. You might recall that during the rapid fire questions, I was asked, what was the name of your first pet? And I shared in that moment that the name of our pet was Tar Baby. And I wish I had taken a moment last week to explain a little bit more of the context. Uh, folks walked away from that thinking that was the name of my dog. Um, I was three years old. It was my dad's dog. And I just wanna say to anyone out there, if that was offensive to you, I am sincerely sorry. And I wish, again, I had just stopped to explain I'm not sure exactly where it came from. Again, I was three, I was 11 when the dog died, um, but I was three when we got the dog. I do recall that my grandma used to read me a story uh, from Uncle Remus's book uh, about the tar baby and burr rabbit. And if you know that story, it's not racial. Um, it's just this great story about a rabbit having a conversation with a doll that was made of tar and turpentine about a briar patch. And my grandma read it to me all the time. And I'm assuming that maybe she read that to my dad. And I'm assuming that maybe that's where he got the name for the dog. But nonetheless, over the years, the phrase tar baby has become a racial slur for some and, and, and carries a lot of baggage in terms of racial connotations. And I just wish last week I would have paused to speak to that for just a moment. But in the midst of the, the questions coming at me and watching the, the clock and trying to get through, I just answered the question and we moved on. But I wanna say this to our church. I think this is a perfect example of a time where we need to be willing to have conversation with one another and not be so afraid of offending, but rather circling back and saying, hey, maybe I shouldn't have done that, or maybe I could have done that better. And we can be gracious with one another. I know there are a lot of people, you're afraid to get into the conversation because you're worried about offending somebody or, or you're worried about saying something the wrong way or you really don't even know how to articulate what you are feeling. This is why we're doing the Facebook conversation on Tuesday. We need to come to the table and be willing to have these conversations 
to be willing to acknowledge that we will get it wrong at times. And sometimes we just need to circle back and say, hey, I should have slowed down. This is what I meant. This is what I was trying to say. And uh, I just want to say to the church today, I'm sorry if that has offended any of you. And um, my dog, again, is named Abigail, and uh, she is an amazing dog. I, I named my dog from the Bible. I named my five children all from the Bible. My dog is named Abigail. It means to the delight of her father. And uh, I would not name a dog Tar Baby. So hear my heart today. Hopefully most of you already knew my heart, but I just thought it was worth a few moments of circling back and clarifying. Okay, here we go. Question number one is a big topic. And the studies show us uh, that this involves about half or maybe even a little bit more or a little bit less, depending on which data point you look at, of the adults in the house, those who've been married. And I'm talking about the subject of divorce. I got a lot of questions on divorce. And here is how this question was worded. I was married and my husband was unfaithful and abusive. We divorced and I have repented. How does God look at me? I want to lean in for this one because I got a feeling you asked this question for a lot of people. Listen closely, please. He loves you. God loves you. I've often said it like this, if God had a refrigerator, come on now, your picture would be on it. God loves you. You see, we have to learn to separate our actions or the unfortunate parts of living in a broken, fallen world. We have to learn to separate that from the never ending reckless love of God for each of us. We have to learn that even though God never winks at sin, and in fact, he can't stand sin, he loves us and his love never wanes. We know from scripture that God never condones divorce. It's not his will. God is against it. But come on, so is gossiping. So is stealing. So is gluttony anger, violence toward our fellow man. The important thing that this person says in their question is that I have repented. Did you notice that? The Bible says this about sin, confession, and repentance. Wherever you are, you might just read this with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So despite what you might have been told, divorce is not the one unpardonable sin. Just because you've been divorced doesn't mean you have to wear a scarlet letter of D on your chest for the rest of your life. No, 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 the only unpardonable sin, the Bible says, is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew 12, 31. Jesus himself said, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. 
Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you've heard that, and maybe you've often wondered what it is. It's denying the power and conviction of God through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. Another way of putting it is blasphemy is the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence to the Holy Spirit of God and most particularly to the convicting Holy Spirit of God. But divorce is not unpardonable. Look at Mark 10, two through nine. I hope you like scripture today. We got a lot of scripture. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what's interesting is that Matthew pretty much says the same thing, but Matthew offers what scholars have often called the exception clause. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew 19, eight and nine. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for reasons of marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So basically, Jesus is acknowledging that there will be times when divorce is, I guess you would say, understandable. Again, don't mishear me, never God's best, nor is it ever God's will, but also never something for which you can't be forgiven and rebuild your life to the glory and honor of God. And even after a divorce, if you are locked into Christ and you are living your life in Christ as a new creation, the best is always yet to come. Very, very important. And let me just end where I started with this question. How does God view you? He loves you. Like really just let that settle in for a moment. He loves you. A little verse tucked away way over there in the Old Testament in the book of Zephaniah says that God sings over you with his love. He adores you. He still has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you what? Hope and a future. So you asked a great question. How does God view you? He loves you. And he has a great plan and a great future for your life. Question number two, here we go, moving along. Do you think racial injustice is the same, better or worse than in the 60s? That's a great question. Now, before I even tried to answer the question, I have to let you know that I feel like I'm not the one 
to answer the question. I really believe that. That's why I'm excited about the conversation that we're going to have Tuesday at noon, because you're going to join me in listening to their voices. And the best thing we can do if we are white is to quite often shut up and listen, listen closely. So again, for me to speak to whether racial injustice is better or the same or worse than in the 60s, I, I don't know if I'm the right one to answer the question. Moreover, I feel like it's one of those questions where I'm darned if I do and I'm darned if I don't, if you know what I mean. I feel like regardless of the answer I give, some people are going to be offended in the last few weeks, <laughs> I've had folks tell me I'm going too far and speaking about racial issues too much. And some have left. I want you to know we love you. If you're watching this today, we love you and we hope you'll come back. And whenever you come back, we'll receive you with open arms. But I've also had people on the other side mad at me because they don't think I've actually said enough. And they're going to do everything they can do to pull me out of the church and put me in the political realm of which I will have no part. The question is a really hard question to answer because there are so many nuances to the reality of racism, but let me give it my best shot. I can't skirt any of these questions because you guys have put me in the hot seat. And so I've got to give it my best shot. I have a hard time saying that it hasn't gotten any better. Stick with me here for a moment. To say it hasn't gotten any better would be to disregard the advances we have made in America. As I said a lot during that Martin Luther King series that I did a couple years ago where about 50 of us jumped on a charter bus and we went to Atlanta and I preached in King's pulpit, actually Daddy King's pulpit, his dad. And then we went to Montgomery and Memphis and all these places and Birmingham. I used to say a lot in that series, and I still believe it to be true. We've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. I really believe that. But stick with me. I want to acknowledge that it is easy for a white man to say this. Because you see, I'm not walking in the shoes of an African-American. So even if I say that, that I believe it has gotten a little better, but we still have a long way to go. Even as I say that, I say it with the utmost humility, recognizing the privileged position in which I stand. I also think it's worth saying that even though it might appear better, I also believe that we have learned to disguise it better in America. Here's what I mean. We have learned to not look so racist in America. And we've learned to hide it beneath the surface because it is in most cases, in most progressive educated areas of the country, because it is socially unacceptable, folks tend to wear masks more and yet racism just kind of bubbles beneath the surface. It's, it's always there. I had this thought this week. It's interesting, is it not? 
whereas certain racists used to wear white masks and in their racial bigotry, it was glaringly obvious. Today, many people wear invisible masks, maybe COVID-19 medical masks, if you will. And yet racism is disguised again beneath the surface. I find that incredibly ironic and unfortunate. I would also say that as we think about racism today, as compared to the 60s and the 70s, the reason so many of us think it's worse today than it was back then is because we have this never ending news cycle, 24 seven, 365 coverage on all the major news networks. In addition to that, we all carry around in our hands computers with cameras. And so we are seeing so much more today than we saw back then. But make no mistake about it, it's always been bad. It's always been an issue. Let me give you an example. Ahmaud Arbery down in Georgia was shot by a son while his father was in the back of a pickup truck. Many people believe that the father and the son were arrested because they saw the video, the, the, the force, the, the officials in that area. Let me be clear. They weren't arrested because they saw the video. They were arrested because we saw the video. The video had been out for quite some time. So just to wrap up that part of the question, I think it has gotten better, especially in areas where people are socially minded and have a social conscious and, and they're, they're making progress in these areas. But unfortunately, our society, I believe, has just gotten a lot better at hiding the racism. And so therefore, we still have a long, long way to go. Question number three, question number three. This is an easy one to answer. Like a lot of people, I'm thinking a lot these days about the end times. Can you please do a series on the book of Revelation? Guess what? I already have. You will find it on our website. You'll find it on our YouTube channel, newhopechurch.org forward slash revelation. Again, newhopechurch.org forward slash revelation. It's called Breaking the Code, Breaking the Code. And I spend time in that series looking at all the ways in which the book of Revelation has been poorly interpreted. I explain the symbolism and the numbers behind apocalyptic literature and there's no way you can understand apocalyptic books in the Bible like Daniel or the book of Revelation without understanding the apocalyptic imagery, symbolism, and the codes that they were using as they were being persecuted. Go check that series out. Take you a notepad and a Bible and go get it. it is a, it's a very important book in the Bible for us to know and study. And if you missed last week, uh, you might wanna go back and check that out as I talked about the end times as well. Okay, 
That's three down. Uh, we have these uh, rapid fire kind of popcorn questions that we like to get to. And so uh, we're gonna take a break from the big questions and I'm going to answer 20 questions again from Christina. She is the director of our first contact ministry here at the Durham campus. Awesome young woman of God. She's gonna fire me uh, 20 questions. Here we go. All righty, round two, let's start off. So Pastor Benji, who was your favorite teacher and why? Barry Leach. Barry Leach was my fifth grade teacher. Um, he was my favorite teacher because he, he, he made learning fun. He taught us science and um, he was also a family friend. He also took me hunting and fishing as a fifth grader. And so, you know, you love your teacher <laughs> if he'll take you hunting and fishing. And um, Barry was by far my favorite teacher throughout all of my um, elementary, middle, or high school. Barry Leach died of cancer at the age of 45. And um, I still miss him dearly today. And I was so honored that he invited me to preside, not he, I'm sorry, his wife invited me to preside over his funeral. And it was one of the first funerals I, I ever led. And um, so I miss Barry Leach, That's, that was the one. For sure. Good teachers can have a great impact oh, on our man, lives. Oh, man, big time. <laughs> so what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Most courageous thing I've ever done? Starting New Hope Church. Um, when I think of courage, I think overcoming fear, stepping into the unknown, all those things, starting this church. I think I can speak for a lot of people saying that we are glad that you were courageous in that. Thank you. <laughs> and if you could go to any point of time in history where would you time travel to? You know, some people like to go back. I, I wouldn't go back. Um, we can study history and learn about what's in the past. If Jesus continues to tarry and this world continues on, I find myself sometimes thinking about like year 3020 to, to go forward a thousand years and uh, see what, will be going on, what inventions we will have made, what progress we will have made. Yeah, I would go forward. All right, going forward. And what is something that Jesus is teaching you right now? Man, he's teaching me something that I don't like. He, he's teaching me how to live and minister in such uncertain times. Um, as humans, I think we loathe uncertainty and um, there's so much uncertainty out there today about ministry, about returning on site, about um, we see the racial turmoil everywhere. We're in a political year, just so uncertain. And he's teaching me, hey, you've got to trust me by faith, even when you can't see what is coming. Mm, that's good. All righty. So toilet paper placement, if you have some, <laughs> over or under? Toilet paper over. Oh, yes, over. there's a patent and for that. And if you are an under person, you should really question your salvation. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's over, case closed. It should never be under, 100%. ever. 100%. I am pretty, totally I, with can, you on Can that you one. tell I'm pretty passionate about this? <laughs> <laughs> That's a hill I'm willing to die on every time personally. All righty, so where would you like for your next vacation to be? Oh, man, there's one we've been putting off for a long time. Um, an Alaskan cruise. So many of my friends have told me there's nothing more beautiful and breathtaking than an Alaskan cruise. I'm in no hurry to get on a cruise ship right now. I have no desire, but one day I want to take an Alaskan cruise. 
Very nice. And if you had to choose one or the other, would you prefer beach or mountains? Neither. Neither. Uh, lake life for the Kellys. We like the lake. <laughs> um, but here I am dodging your question. Beach or mountains? Um, oh, wow. It depends on the time of the year. I'm not good at answering this one. The fall, I want to be in the mountains. Spring or summer, I want to be in the beach. But yeah, I'm, I'm a lake person. <laughs> all righty, all right. That's respectable. And who is your favorite child? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but seriously. Can you promise me that my children won't be watching this? I cannot make any guarantees for you. <laughs> but um, do you find that you love each of your children differently? Yeah, yeah, I do. And, um, you know, to, to the original question, I know it was a little tongue in cheek there, but um, I love my kids more than words could ever even begin to articulate. But I have always had this thought, and it also comes down to my definition of love. I believe love is a verb. And so I, I believe I love my kid the most in the one who needs me the most mm. at that particular time. Mm. So I love them all the same, but I think love moves and, and, and ebbs and flows with the needs of a person. Well, I'm sh I know you're a great dad and happy Father's Day. Thank you. <laughs> all righty. And do you make any New Year's resolutions? No, none. I, 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 I think about goals and I normally, as you guys know, you've heard me say, I normally pick a word theme for the year, but I don't, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Gotcha, gotcha. And what's your favorite time of day? Hmm. Early morning, like real early with a cup of coffee or right at dust at the end of the day, that last bit of light. Mm. It's all that stuff in between that, <laughs> that I can most <laughs> often do without. <laughs> I hear you, I hear you. And what's a cause that's important to you? A cause, racial justice, equality. Yeah. And what is your favorite board game? Oh, Monopoly. Classic. Without a doubt, Monopoly. It's kind of like, it's kind of like over the top toilet paper. I'm very passionate about this. And you know, I, 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 I will smoke you if we play Monopoly, Christine. I, I, there's no mercy on the Monopoly to ask my kids. We, we, have, we have vicious Monopoly games. Challenge accepted. I mean, Monop you have to have strong relationships to play Monopoly. You do. You can, that can tear a family you apart. You really do. It can mess a family up. All righty. And what are you currently reading? Uh, I am reading uh, Imperfection by Brene Brown, a uh, fantastic book on uh, subtitle. I might get this wrong. Subtitle is giving up who you think you should be to be who you are. Mm. Uh, imperfection, vulnerability, authenticity. I'm a big Brene Brown fan. So that's the one right now. Yes, I have to check that out myself. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> Great author. And what's your favorite holiday? Oh, Thanksgiving. Easy eat all that food, right? <laughs> I, I love it. I love all the food, but I also love that it, it, it doesn't get consumed with the crass commercialism of Christmas or the bunnies and eggs of Easter. And I don't, now for you very spiritual people, save your emails. I'm not saying I don't like Christmas. That's the birth of Jesus. That's high and holy. I, I like Easter. It's the best. I mean, we, where would we be, we be without the resurrection, but just plain holidays. I love Thanksgiving. That's fair. I'm going to get some emails about that probably. <laughs> you probably will. But Christina, right. <laughs> I've been getting a lot of emails lately. You'd be surprised. I actually, I'm sure you are. There's a lot going on for you, man. Praying for you with the emails there, Pastor. <laughs> and uh, what's your favorite thing about living in the Durham area? Oh, all the universities everywhere. I love living in a university area. Uh, college basketball, though. You got to be oh, careful, man. <laughs> that on. rivalry's strong. And do you like surprises? 
No. No surprises. Do not like surprises. <laughs> all right, all right. To, to, to the point, right? Nope. <laughs> I nope. mean, it, point blank, <laughs> nice and simple. And coffee or tea? Coffee, all the way. That's fair. I don't even drink much tea anymore. Even I was raised in the deep south, so I drank a lot of sweet tea. Don't even drink sweet tea anymore. Very rarely will have hot tea, but I do enjoy hot tea, but coffee all the way. Coffee, coffee. And when are you most inspired? When am I most inspired? After hearing a great sermon Mm. preached that is faithful to the biblical text and very relevant and applicable to my life. Alrighty, and final question for today. What's a verse that has carried you through this season? Oh, Galatians 2. Galatians 2.20 is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me, for I've been crucified with Christ. Um, and the life I now live, I live to him who gave himself for me. Galatians 2, just living in that. Very nice. Well, thanks for doing another round of questions. Thank Bouncing you, B. Christina. We got one more <laughs> next week, you and me. Sounds good, man. Appreciate you. <laughs> you too. All right, question four, women in ministry. Um, How do you feel about women in ministry? What biblical support can you give for what you believe? Now, this is one that I'm also very passionate about. Like a lot of issues facing us in the church today, I believe the answer is in the word of the Lord. I haven't said this yet. I haven't really encouraged you guys to type in. So keep the chat coming. If you believe the answers are in the word of the Lord, just type in amen right now. Um, I've often said that, that I believe the task for the church is to become better readers of this book. There are a lot of people proof texting this book, grabbing a verse here, grabbing a verse there to build their own agenda. And I believe this is a a case, this women in ministry one is a case where that happens. We still have major denominations. I mean, large denominations that still don't bless or include women in ministry. And uh, so what I wanna do is look at some scripture with you and help you understand where I come from and how I read the Bible with this regards. Now, to do that, let's start with those verses that churches use to say, no, women shouldn't be in ministry, okay? So uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 15. Uh, 1 through 7, Paul is talking about all of God's people. He's talking about how God wants all people to be saved and all people to come to the knowledge of truth. So I'm tracking with Paul there for a moment. It's very, very inclusive. But then he gets to these verses, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray. So men, dads, Father's Day, hey, pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. If you listen real closely, you'll you'll hear and feel the tension in the virtual world, as it were. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. 
but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and propriety. Again, can you feel the tension out there? Now, some of you are logging off right now and you're gonna email me and tell me that I said, I'm just, I'm just delivering the mail. Stick with me, okay? Give me, give me a moment to counter this with some other passages of scripture. Now, there are a few more passages similar to this in the New Testament. And if that was all there is, I would have to land in the position, in the same spot that other denominations and churches do, and that is women should not be in ministry. Because again, you've heard me say this over and over, this has to have authority in our life, but this is not all that the Bible says. And we have to run to the full counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. Let me see you type amen or praise the Lord or thank him for his, for his word, the good book. Now you gotta look at some other passages. For example, Philippians four, verses two through three. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Synchtony to be of the same mind in the Lord. Verse three, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Time out, stop right there. The same Paul who just said that women should be quiet and full submission and, and all of that, the same one who said that and people build the case for women not being in ministry is letting us know in Philippians 4 that these two women have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel. There's tension there. We have to do better at managing the tension along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Now, open up your Bibles to Romans 16. I'm not gonna put it on the screen and we're not gonna read it, but Romans 16 is, is a long passage of scripture where Paul lists woman after woman after woman after woman who has been an instrumental part in his ministry. In fact, because you read the names, you might not be able to make out which one were men and which ones were women. There are 10 women listed in Romans 16. If we include women that Paul mentions in other letters, there are 18 women in which Paul clearly says and describes the various and sundry ways in which those women have been active and a vital part of his ministry, ministry partners with none other than the apostle Paul. Lastly, and I dare say most powerfully, since we talked about Easter earlier, you only have to go to the empty tomb to see the vital role in which women can play in the proclamation of the gospel. Mark 16, one and 11, you can read that later, or Matthew 28. And look at what it says in Matthew 28, five through 10. Well, I'll start with verse one, then I'll slip down to verse five. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Then you might recall there was a violent earthquake and the angel of the Lord came down, right? Rolled away the stone, jumped up on the stone, said like, what's up? <laughs> and, then, and then the women come along soon thereafter. Look at verse five. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Somebody ought to type in praise the Lord. Just as he said, 
Come and see the place where he lay, verse seven. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Then you will see him. Now I have told you, verse eight, listen closely. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Have you ever pondered the thought that the very first proclaimers of the resurrected Christ, the very first people who preached, he is alive, he is risen, instructed by Jesus to go tell about it, were the women. So I think it is easy to build the case that women are called, gifted, anointed and released to be in ministry in the world. Moreover, I mentioned Galatians 2 earlier. Look at Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There is neither male nor female, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. So I stand with the belief and uh, in this church, we have lots of amazing women on staff. Uh, I bring women in to preach at New Hope Church, hope to do that more and more. And uh, it's because I truly believe that is what the scriptures teach. And um, that's where I stand. Hey, just like last week, we're not going to get all the way through these. Uh, we are going to save um, the last two for next week. Um, and I will pick back up right there. But for now, I want us to uh, transition, if you will, to a time of offering. And I want to just say thank you to those of you who are giving to this church. You're helping us spread hope and holiness all over the world, particularly here in the Carolinas. Thank you. I know these are tricky times and it might, it might be easy to stop giving because you're experiencing all this ministry online and not in person. And just please hear my heart. Don't do that. We have staff to pay. We have campuses to pay for. We have ministry to do. We have missions to do. And uh, we want to seize this time by lifting high the calls of Christ. And it is because of you that we can do that. So as you prepare to bring your tithe unto the Lord, you can do that by going to our website, newhopechurch.org, and uh, you can figure out how to do it there. Or an easier approach is this just to text NH Movement to 77977. 
and uh, follow the prompts, figure out your tithe, click reoccurring giving, and uh, put your head on your pillow every night knowing that you are helping lift high the light of Christ. You're helping us push back the darkness. Kingdoms are clashing, but we believe that God's kingdom will carry on. And the Bible says that even the gates of hell will not stop it. And that's because of you helping us advance the gospel. As you are preparing that tithe, we wanted you to see a video this week to kind of let you know the way in which your generosity is helping many, many people, particularly in this area. So check this out and then I'll come back up and uh, send us off today. I'm Jennifer Caslin. I'm the marketing and project manager for the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. The Food Bank is an organization that sources donated food and non-food essentials, and then we distribute that food to our 900 partner agencies throughout our 34 county service area, and that includes food pantries, shelters, and soup kitchens. Food and monetary donations are very important. We're a private nonprofit organization, so we rely on our community and our donors for the support. Really, the, the most needed item right now is donations of funds. Um, it allows us to be flexible. We've had to purchase a lot more food. We've had to hire extra folks because the volunteer groups have had to be smaller. The extra help has been essential in us getting the food out there to folks. I wanna give a huge thank you to New Hope for your donations of both money and time through your volunteering. It is so, so impactful, especially right now. And we just wanna thank you from the bottom of our hearts for everything that you do to give back. So I just wanna echo what she just said. This, she thanked New Hope Church and I wanna thank you because of you. This is just one small example of the way in which through your generosity, we are able to partner with local ministries that serve the needy, the hungry, the downtrodden in this area. So thank you, New Hope Church. Have a great week. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. I need all the prayers I can get. And I will see you right back here next Sunday, same time, same place for part three of AMA. Have a great day. And again, for all of the dads out there, happy Father's Day.